News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Welcome to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. Hope you are having a great Saturday. If you're not having a great Saturday today, I can guarantee you next Saturday you are going to be having a great time because we are less than a week away from Pensacon opening up on Friday, taking over all of downtown Pensacola. And we've got a couple of great guests with us today on the show who are going to be appearing at Pensacon. Right now, joining me on the line, an actor who's uh, edging up on 50 years in the business, but uh, you will definitely know him for many, many things, but probably first and foremost as Raj from What's Happening, and we'll talk a little bit about that a little bit later. But please welcome to the show, Ernest Thomas. Hey! Hey! <laughs> How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to you. Uh, you know, I, I grew up watching What's Happening, and like I said, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. But, you know, cool. man, just a great career you. that you've had, you know, like I said, edging up on 50 years in the business. Uh, yes, 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 yeah. What a blessing. Yeah, man, and... The fans are just, uh, it just, you know, they're they're so loyal and uh, excited about every time everything we do. I mean, the, the show is still on somewhere every day, you know. So that's amazing. Our 45th anniversary of what's happening this year. Wow, wow. So that's that's incredible. Uh, well, we'll get to that yeah. in, in just a moment. But I want, I want, I always like to start at the beginning with somebody that's got a really long career. Uh, and uh, sure. And, and doing a little research on you. Uh, you started out on Broadway working with Glenn Close, is that right? Yeah, Glenn Close and um, and also uh, uh, oh god, I have a senior moment now. Kim Kim Cattrall. Oh wow. Okay. Um, yeah, but Kim Kim and I were in, we didn't go to, we were on Broadway together, but we went to we went to the American Academy uh, acting school together. Yeah, and uh, but Glenn, yeah, Glenn um, and I did three plays together under Hal Prince, Hal Prince, uh, the great Hal Prince who produced Evita, produced and directed uh, Evita, Phantom of the Opera. So, yeah, we were, yeah, in, 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 in uh, some of the greats, you know. So what was that like as a young actor starting out on Broadway? Oh, man, like uh, heaven on earth, because, you know, that's every actor's goal, uh, you know, with with especially to work with, you know, the greats like uh, Hal Brent. So it happened so right after acting school. So I was really blessed to, you know, to um, to be chosen. Uh, so it, it's, it's, it's um, I feel incredibly grateful. But at the time, it's like an out-of-body experience almost because you, you, you know of the history of, you know, how friends with, you know, West Side Story, all, you know, he is the producer of producers on, on Broadway. And uh, for him to send a letter to me later and said I was an extraordinary actor and I wish I had kept that letter. But, oh. um, uh, yeah, but it, it was, yeah, it's like heaven on earth, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and it's one thing to get that, then to be received by the audience, too. Uh, that's another, that's a whole nother thing because New Yorkers will let you know if they love you or hate you. Right? <laughs> and, uh, thank God they love me. Yeah. Thank God they love me. Yeah. So what made you decide to leave that behind and, uh, and move to LA to pursue TV and movies? My folks did not understand one of the, yeah, my grandmother and my mother did not understand Broadway, what that meant, you know, uh, 
because I'm all excited. And uh, first of all, no one wanted me to get into this. You know, they didn't understand the whole acting thing because I, um, you know, went to uh, you know, Indiana State University, got a degree in sociology, psychology, bachelor's degree, and then did a year on my master's and, um, and then I worked at a steel mill. Um, I was like the first black in that position at this predominantly all-white steel mill in Portage, Indiana. And I was, had been accepted by the American Academy at that time. I really worked just so I could get to the American, have the money for the American Academy. But I didn't tell my folks that they were just happy I had this great job and it was the first time position for a black person. And so a lot of people were like shocked when I left after six months because school started and uh, people thought I lost my mind. Yeah, they really thought I had a nervous breakdown or something. Oh, wow. <laughs> because it was, uh, it was a great position at that at that steel mill. So two years at the academy, and then I get on Broadway. I am so excited, and I, ca- I call up my mother and grandmother, and uh, my mother was on the, you know, um, I said, Mom, Mom, I'm on Broadway. <laughs> she said, Broadway and what, baby? I'll come and pick you up. <laughs> oh, that, that's a good that's a punch. Story. That, I swear, uh, Julio, that is a true story. And I was, I said, no, 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 Mom, see, like, you know, like in church and the preachers up on the pulpit, right? Well, they have actors on the stage and the people are watching and she, they didn't get it. They still did. So my grandmother, you know, uh, got on the phone and she said, well, when are you going to be on TV, baby? Because she understood that. My mother never watched any television. She hasn't watched any of my shit. She, she's just not a TV a media person, period. Radio, nothing like that. She's just in the God and Jesus, and that's it. But Grandma would watch Tom Jones' show. Okay. So she said, when are you going to be on TV, baby? And I'm like, uh, I, I don't know, Grandma, you know? But, uh, and uh, so when my grandmother died, uh, it was like four deaths in a row. And I believe in signs from God, you know? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so when I had four deaths in a row, and everyone said, Ernie, are you all right, man? I mean, good Lord, man, that's a lot you're dealing with. I went, I said, yeah, um, but I know God got something special for me, for this to be happening like this, you know, right? And God got something, and I'm feeling the urge to go to California to get on, get a sitcom. And uh, again, now the people in New York, because I'm really doing well on stage, uh, not only with Hal Prince, I had another play I did with uh, called Don't Call Back with Anthony Perkins, as you know, from Psycho. Oh, yeah. You know, he did all the programs. And so, again, someone I was in awe of. So even they're like, why are you, what, what, what are you doing that for? I said, I just want to be on TV so my grandmother can know. You know, I mean, she had died at that time, but I said, in memory of her, but I feel the urge that as for her to say that, that was a sign too. So, um, so I, 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 you know, again, I, you know, everything I did, people thought I was losing it. So now the people in New York think I'm losing it because I uh, take a red eye to L.A. because I don't plan to return, you know, and I tell people I don't believe in having something to fall back on. So I believe what I, that Jesus does not lie. Uh, and that's fine. It's not easy. You know, I cried 
don't get it, you know, don't get it twisted. You know, I tell people, and, uh, you know, I go to talk to kids all the time, uh, I want them on film sets, the younger actors want to talk to them. I said, look, the thing you guys don't understand, you got to want it so bad that nothing, I don't care how bad it gets, you know, you never, ever say the negative. You never say, well, I don't, I don't know. It's been a while now. And uh, well, I've been rejected by this agent and rejected. I never discussed that with anyone. That was between me and God. And I always tell them when people would see me and laugh at me in in L.A., in Hollywood, because it took almost a year. Uh, and they said, look at that fool. Hey, you, did you get your show yet? You know, I said, oh, it's coming. God told me it's coming. You know, but I tried many, 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 many nights. You know, I mean, a river of tears. You know, you cry yourself to sleep. Your head hurts. You know, but that, but when people saw me that next one, I would shower, put that suit on, put the smile on, because God's act as if it's already done. So uh, they never saw the tears. And by the grace of God and the the the, the, the miraculous nature of God, I and I got in L.A. August 30th, 1975. Less than a year, August 5th, 1976, what's happening? Debuted. Top 10 in the nation. Well, we have to take a break. We'll be back with more in just a moment. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 923 and AM 1620. and AM1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. If you are a fan of classic television, I guarantee you you recognize that sound, and you're going to recognize the voice that we're talking with this morning on the air. Uh, We've got Ernest Thomas from What's Happening on the Line coming to Pensacon next weekend. And we were just, uh, just before the break, we were talking about your early career and leading up to getting that show that that everybody loves so much. And I, I certainly grew up watching, and I know a lot of our listeners grew up watching. Thank you. Thank so, you, Julio. Thank you. Yeah, so tell me, tell me about, you know, this was your, your kind of your big break to the world. You, you're the lead actor in this show uh, with a great yeah. ensemble. What, what did you like about yeah. the, the show to begin with? What, what drew you to it other than just, you know, wanting a job, of course? Oh, well, you know, again, again, I, I believe in divine orchestration and, uh, I saw Cooley High, the film, which is still one of my favorite films, you know, just one of my all time favorite films with Glenn Turman, who did such a great job as Preacher Jackson and Lawrence Jacobs and Garrett Morris and everyone in that cast. So I went to see the, um, with my friends to go and see the film. And when I saw the film, I lost it. You know, and that wasn't like I hated it, Glenn for being the, the role, the, having that role, but I thought, but that should be me, though. I said, I don't, and so my friends were like, Ernie, we're trying to watch the movie, man, you know. I said, I can't believe this. I'm supposed to be Preacher Jackson, you know. And uh, so I do shut up, you know, but I, and I do enjoy the film. But there's a there's an undercurrent going on of why did my agent submit me, and um, 
And I and I asked the agent about it. You know, why wasn't I submitted for the role to preach Jackson in Cooley High? They went, well, they, they, they hire people out of L.A. You know, the L.A. actors are already out there. There are black actors out there. Why would they want to come to uh, New York? So um, anyway, so as I, you know, when, I, when I'm in L.A. and I finally get my agent, um, Tom Corman, God rest his soul, and over 200 actors, you know, were up for that role because they were just going to every major city, you know, trying to find that uh, un- un- unknown because, you know, poor because um, Glenn at that time didn't, I don't think Glenn wanted to do it or it maybe because of age-wise, he wouldn't have aged, you know, because uh, it's going to be like a seven-year, use of those shows up for seven years. Mm-hmm. So um, I did... Uh, the Jeffersons, uh, the first show, though, this is after nine agents rejected me. The 10th agent, I said, look, Mr., before we even get started, if I don't act, I'm going to die. And that's, that just, he just said, oh, I, I, I believe you. <laughs> so then he, so, so he called up Jane Murray, who was casting all the different, all the family good times and Jeffersons and, and uh, Sanford and Son, and she, he says, he says, hey, I got this. I have a hunch about this guy, a gut feeling. You know, I haven't seen him do anything, but I have a gut feeling. And uh, so from there, I end up doing the Jeffersons, the role of Train. I'm a friend of of uh, of uh, Lionel's in the show, and uh, and from the and so people are observing me there, you know. And uh, Isabel Sanford, who played Wheezy. Her agent, Mary, I can't think of my last name, but the first name was Mary, real sweet lady, God rest her soul. And she says, you know, Ernest, um, there's this new sitcom, a pilot called Cooley High, and I think you would be perfect for that, you know? And he's talking like Twilight Zone music, like, ooh, <laughs> you know, like, oh my, what? Did you say Cooley High? No, no way. So uh, so I, I I I we 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 do the I get accepted get to do the Cooley High pilot and people don't know there was a pilot that no one has ever seen this was not the first cast mm-hmm. so I was in an entire different cast Garrett Morris from Saturday Night Live who was also in Cooley High he has a teacher he was in the pilot all right and uh, we did we, we filmed in Chicago. And we filmed here, uh, directed by the great Ivan Dixon, Sisso. And uh, but ABC, you know, I was all very excited about it, and ABC decided it wasn't funny enough, and uh, which is devastating, you know, because I'm like, wait a minute, I, I get the thing I wanted, but it's not funny enough. So I'm thinking, of course, you know, being the lead, that it was me, you know, and. Um, I, I hated that I did not get a copy because the producer, Arnold Margolin, who produced Love American Style at that time, uh, he's an earnest. Well, ABC decided that uh, it just wasn't funny enough, but they loved you. You you were incredible. Your efforts were monumental, brother. So if, you, if I were you, get the tape, get, the, get it so you'll have it for your reel, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was so that I didn't want it. You know, I didn't, I didn't do it. I told, I told him I would, but I actually did not. I was too depressed. And so later they tell me, 
okay, we decided we're going to do a three camera. Uh, now Bud York and uh, it was Bud York and uh, decided, wanted to do the three camera with Saul Turtletop and Bernie Ornstein. And, uh, uh, and they wanted to do uh, another cast around me, they said. So then they have, they have the new cast with Fred Berry as Rerun, Daniel Spencer as the Mama Mabel King was really the star. Because she was the only one that really done something. She'd been on Broadway and in The Wiz and uh, Haywood Nelson uh, as Dwayne. And uh, I will never forget that day. And again, when God put something together that said no one can, no one can 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 destroy it. Uh, the chemistry was so on fire that day, and I don't know them. I've never met these people. I walk in, you know, Haywood, Danielle, Mabel, Fred Berry, Shirley Hemphill. You know, uh, and there's this this thing, man. Like I've always knew them, all right. And like, what is going on here? And when I touch their hands, it's a familiarity that I cannot explain. You know, and I tell them that's why I know that God had His hand in it. Uh, you couldn't explain that. Uh, and we just acted like we'd always been together. So, and then through the rehearsal process, you know, um, uh, uh, oh, Bud had bought the rights from uh, Eric Monty, so he wanted to change our names, and so I was no uh, no longer the movie character name. So he said, what names would you like? And everyone could choose their name, right? So I... I chose Roger because I stayed at the Roger Williams Hotel when I was going to the American Academy. You know, that was a hotel that charged us $100 a month. So that was a good luck thing. I said, oh, I'm, I'll go with Roger. Then my last name, Thomas. And then uh, uh, Mabel King wanted to keep her first name, right? And then Danielle uh, was her first name as well. Uh, D, uh, but she called it D instead of Danielle. And um, uh, Fred Berry won't keep his first name. Shirley, uh, again, her first name. And um, uh, uh, Haywood was the last name. He just he wanted to have a different, you know. Um, um, oh, I'm sorry, Dwayne. Dwayne, uh, Dwayne. He liked Dwayne for whatever reason. I don't each other's Dwayne. I can't know. I don't know why he said, you know, uh, Dwayne. And, um, but Fred had his, you know, Fred Berry, you know, uh, Freddie Stubbs, you know. So, um, then we kept saying, what's happening? What's happening? Uh, you know, Rod, what's happening? You know, Dwayne. And so, but said, you know, decided to change the name to what's happening, which is very clever. You know, because people say it every day, you know, and uh, that's how I got to name what's happening. And um, uh, we did four, they did four shows to see what would happen. You know, did the pilot first and then the pilot was shown to a, a group of, uh, which is mostly whites at that time. They do a thing where they, they test it 
and we got really high marks across the board, so it appealed to everyone right away. And then so they did three more episodes, and we were summer replacement, and all four shows in the top ten. So it, it really was historical. Um, and, uh, you know, again, you know, just talking about heaven on earth again, you know, this is like the, the top heaven, you know, uh, <laughs> from Broadway was a certain level of heaven, but getting on national TV and being known and, and, and receiving love and being, you know, people wanting your autograph and, and, uh, people you admire like Burt Reynolds, you know, coming up to you and hugging you and, and John Wayne, uh, and, uh, uh, Danny Thomas, you know, because I, I watch Make Room for Daddy and uh, um, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, Olivia de Havilland, who I'd seen in Gone with the Wind and The Heiress, and uh, uh, James Stewart, um, Muhammad Ali, uh, Oprah Winfrey. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Maya Angelou, uh, uh, Sidney Poitier chooses me for piece of the action. He asked me to be in that movie, you know, and uh, watched it. I couldn't believe he ever watched what's happening. And, and, and I said, I said, you don't have to, I know you don't watch what's happening, you know, I'm going to be in your movie anyway because I admire you, I idolize you, but come on, you never watch what's happening. And then he, he started demonstrating a scene from what's happening. <laughs> and it was that one talking about outer body experience. I said, "No, I this can't be. I can't. I could not believe it, man." So, um, and uh, well, so, yeah. So again, have, heaven on earth, you know. Well, that's amazing. I, you know, I wish we had more time to talk because we, we've got lots. You know, you've got so many other things we could talk about. You know, things like Roots and Malcolm X and. Uh, Everybody right. hates Chris, yes. but unfortunately, yeah, no. everybody hates Chris. Yes, I want all my fans. Everybody hates Chris to come too now. All right, because the millennials—that's what they know. Mr. Omar, you know, yeah, I want them to come. Yeah, yeah, but you know, so if you want to find out more about all of that, please come to Pensacon next week. Open it up on Friday to meet Ernest. He's going to be there. You can get your autograph. You can get your photo taken with him. You can come to his panel yeah. and hear more about his career. Ernest, it has been such a pleasure talking to you, and I look forward to seeing you at the show next week. Oh, you're the best, Julia. God bless you, man. Thank you so much. I uh, thank you. We'll be back after the break with Fred the Hammer Williamson. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Run away, run because I'm back. Wow. Hit him up, get him up, split him up now. Tell me what's going on. It make me want to holler because my dollar's coming. Ozone's no News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. Great conversation with Ernest Thomas. I want to thank him one more time for being on the show this morning. And with me on the line now is another legendary actor, also producer, director, a uh, guy you've seen in a million things. Uh, please welcome to the show, Fred the Hammer Williamson. The Hammer is in the house. Well, we are so excited to have you in the house, and we're very excited to have you in Pensacola next weekend for Pensacon. Uh, man, so much to talk about. You have had an incredible career, but we got to start uh, start at the beginning for our sports fans out there. You uh, you started your career in the NFL. That's where the hammer comes from, and played in the yeah, very first Super Bowl. Played the very first Super Bowl. Yeah. So Oakland Raiders, Kansas City Chiefs, first Super Bowl. Played a couple years up in Canada, but doing. 
what's even more interesting is that during the off season, I was an architect. I'm an architectural engineer by trade. Oh wow! No, I did not know that. So that's that's what you no. got your degree in. Yeah, I worked for Bechtel Steel during the off season. I was I was designing power plants in Dubai before people even know where Dubai was. <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. So yeah, people don't think. Yeah, people think about now if you're thinking about you're in the NFL. Okay, that's your. That's your job until you leave the NFL and then you go do something else. But you, back in the day, that wasn't the way it was when, in the NFL. You were, well, back in the day, that was necessary because we weren't making any money. Yeah. So these guys now they leave the game. They're all millionaires. I mean, I think the top guy was making less than a hundred thousand up until up until the seventies. I mean, it was no money. You play for the pride. You play for the fact that you were something special because you were a pro. So you played for the pride. You didn't play for the money. There was not enough money to pay for us to live off of. Every every football player in the '60s and partial in the '70s had off-season jobs to sustain their lifestyle. Wow, that's that's crazy to think about now. But uh, that's that's the way it was. But listen so, to this. But listen to this. I was number two draft choice of the 49ers. My signing bonus was fifteen hundred. My starting salary was nine thousand five. Wow. Oh. That's not even minimum wage today. That's not even one phone call. <laughs> well, so so you had this career in the NFL. Like I said, you played in the, the first Super Bowl and everything, and you, you made quite a name. That's where the, the name The Hammer came from. That's where you picked up the nickname. I picked up the name there playing for the Raiders. Raiders was a, a physical football team. They used to be more physical than they are now. I mean, the scores were like 7-6. to six. was no 42-35. to 35. That wasn't happening back in the day. You know, we were we were a defensive team, and we were a physical team. And so I found a way to sustain my career and, and, and by not getting injury and uh, hitting them harder than they hit me. So I had that opportunity being a cornerback. I had the opportunity of hitting them a whole lot harder than they hit me. So when you leave that, what got you interested in acting? I never was interested in acting. I, was, I went full-time as an architect. When I left football, I said, okay, I'm bored with football now. Football is really satisfying my physical thing, but it's not really doing mo- nothing for me intellectually. So I went full-time rather than part-time with Bechtel. But that lasted about nine months, sitting behind a desk and out for lunch, nine to five. Just did not fit my personality. So one night I'm watching television trying to decide what I'm going to do, and I watched Julia, Diane Carroll's show. She, she, the, the guest star role each week was a new boyfriend. And I said to myself, which I normally do, I'm better looking than any of those guys. I'm going to Hollywood and become Diane Carroll's boyfriend. Took me two weeks to accomplish that. I signed, I got signed to a three-year contract to play her boyfriend on the Julia show. So, so talk a little bit about that, because that was a very groundbreaking sitcom at the time, too. It was, it was, grand, it was groundbreaking because she was the first black actress to have her own television series. And so they was looking for somebody to, you know, to, to be as strong as she was on the screen, on, on TV, to sustain the longevity of the series. And that's why they chose me, because I, had, I was not an actor. So when I went and talked to them, I didn't talk to them as an actor. I talked to him saying, you need me on this show. I'm what you need on this show. Then they said, have you ever acted before? I said, oh, yeah, I did five years of Raising and Son and Carmen Jones in Canada. Now, I took them to Canada because I know they didn't know anything about Canada, <laughs> and they didn't have, and they couldn't check on it. If I'd have said New York, they'd have said, "Oh, what what repertoire company did you work for?" Right? Okay, 
So they said, okay, we like your attitude. We like, we like your positivity. We'll write a show for you and see how you do. So they wrote a show called Dancer in the Dark about a pro football player who just retired, came to work for the same company that Diane Carroll worked for. We met, we fell in love, and they liked the show, and that's how I got signed. That's incredible. So, you know, in in that time period, it wasn't that common. It's a little more common now for, for guys to go from sports to acting, but it wasn't as common back then. Uh, the other guy that did a lot of that at the time was Jim Brown, and you worked with him a lot. Yeah, but it's not that common at all because they don't think football players can, can do anything but play football. How many football players have been successful in the movie business? And how long have they had a sustained career? Well, yeah, none. that's true. None like you for sure. That's, that's for sure. No, none. And Jim Brown has worked for me because most of the movies I've produced and direct and call my friends to come into, the, come into the, the film with me. So, you know, that's why I've worked with Jim a lot because, you know, I've hired Jim and I've hired a lot of ex-jocks and ex-football players as friends. When I have that power, I do that. I spread, I spread it around. You know, I take care of my friends. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because you were uh, you were really a groundbreaker in that you started out acting, but you pretty quickly went into directing and producing, and uh, you know were a, well, were kind of a keystone I in that era with black filmmakers. There were no black filmmakers. It wasn't. It wasn't any. It was first of all playing Julia. I didn't like my name, Steve Bruce. Mm-hmm. Steve Bruce did not fit the image of the Hammer. <laughs> so, and also at the time, blacks weren't winning all the fights. You know, whenever they had a black guest on a roll, he got killed first. So I'm saying to myself, I'm not coming into this industry to do something less than I did in pro football. I was a strong figure in football. If I'm going to come into the acting business, I'm going to do the same thing. That's why I started directing and started producing. First of all, when I was doing the Julia show, I never left the set. I watched everything they did. I asked questions. I bored the hell out of the crew. What is that light? Why do you put that light there? What do you call that? Can I touch the camera? Can I load the camera this time? I learned the business of the business. So when I decided to make my own, I didn't need anybody except the money. And I had always, always understood that blacks in the foreign market is stronger than they are here. So that's where I went to get my funding, first of all. So my first couple of movies were funded by European distributors because my films were doing whatever I did was doing big business before I decided to be a producer. I did, uh, right right during the Julia show, I did a mash. I played Spear Trucker. Mm-hmm. That got big news over there. Second movie was Tell Me, Love Me, Junie Moon with Liza Minnelli. That got big reviews over there. They liked my persona. They liked my style. So I was already creating an audience that I didn't know about because they weren't my films. I was just in them. But every time I reviewed, read the reviews in Europe, they talked about this masculine guy, the hammer calls himself the hammer. I said, oh, well, okay, I'm gaining some notoriety in Europe. So I started going to the film festivals. I went to Cannes. I went to MIFAD. I went to all the film festivals, and I was selling my film before I even made the film. The first film was Adios Amigo. I just had a 12-page script, and I was selling the fact that I was going to be in it. I kept the budget under $5 million, and so I was easy to raise money because I had already had an audience in Europe and didn't even know about it until I went to all the festivals. In America, they were offering me dumb parts, you know. They're going to kill me in the first five minutes. Forget about that. Kill Schwarzenegger. 
let me avenge his death. Don't kill me and have Schwarzenegger avenge my death. That's not, that's not what I want, and that's not what my fans want to see. So I was forced to do my own thing in order to get the kind of product that I want on the screen. Well, and uh, and you were very successful with it. Talk, what, what for you? What were some of your your pictures during that time period that you're especially proud of? I'm proud of everything that I do because it's a struggle. It's a struggle when you win in a struggle. It's all good, man. You know, I critique my films based on my struggle, and also by the fact that they all make money. Uh, I don't make films that lose money. Uh, Black Seas, The Hell Up and Harlem, Three the Highway. I got seventy films, man. I have to pull out a list here and start reading it off the pitch. I got 70, 70 films out there. I got two, I got about six films playing right now on prime time. Also, my latest film is, is just coming out just now. It's called Atomic Eden. That's one. And Netflix has another one. So I'm still working. I, I got to, as soon as this virus is over, I'm off to Spain to do a Western with Enzo Castellari because I did a Western with him and Lee Van Cleve called Take a Hard Ride. So we're going to do a Western in Spain. Once I finish that, I go to Rome. I've made about 12 movies in Italy, which is my favorite place to live. I've made about 12 films there, so I'm doing a film in Rome as soon as I finish in Spain. Then I'm off to Germany to do a sequel to a film that's coming out now called Atomic Eden. It's on prime time now, too. So, I mean, I'm busy as I want to be in between my golf game. <laughs> How's the golf game going? I'm swinging as hard as I can, and I'm still ain't hitting it nowhere, man. It's a crazy <laughs> game. This game don't care nothing about who you are, how tall you are, how big you are. It don't care nothing about you. So tell us, since Atomic Eden is the, is the film you're working with right now, and you're getting ready to do a sequel to that, tell us a little bit about that movie. Well, I'm getting ready to do, I'm getting ready to do a, uh, a film with Enzo Castellari, which is an Italian director. He's made several Italian westerns, which I think are better than American westerns because – they're more exciting, they're more realistic, and they don't need all the all the hoopla and all the sets to make a film good. It's about the character, his presence on the screen, and, and what they say. That's where Eastwood got his fame from, making those kind of movies. So that's my next film, and it's called The Four, Four Horsemen. We're going to shoot it in Spain. Right after that, I'm going, as I said, to, to Italy to do a film, one of mine, called The Last Hitman. I'm working as much as I want to. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, we have to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment with more with Fred the Hammer Williamson. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. We are talking with the great Fred the Hammer Williamson. Uh, who's going to be here for Pensacon coming up in just a little less than a week, opening up on Friday, May 21st through the 23rd. Uh, come on down. You'll get a chance to meet Fred and a bunch of other celebrities and get autographs, get photos, and uh, hear more about, man, like I said, just an incredible career. We're going to talk a little bit more about that now. I want to come back in with the music that I did there because uh, that was uh, was used in one of, one of the movies I think probably a lot of people have seen you in, that being from Dust Till Dawn. Uh, talk a little right. bit about that film. Well, the film came about because uh, I got a call from Quentin and George Clooney together and said, uh, we got we got a part here and and maybe you'd like to be in the film. And I said, well, you know, I don't do parts and I don't read. He said, well, just do us a favor and come in and show off your talent. Well, okay, that was one way to get me in. So I went in 
and I read for this part, but I gave them an over-the-top reading that they weren't expecting to see, and they about fell out of the chair, and they said, hey, you're in. Thank you. And that's how I got it. You know, I, I brought in the character of the hammer, but didn't try to overcome exactly what the character called for in this film from dusk to dawn. And I said to the director one time, I said, listen, I'm a martial arts guy, so you got to let me show a little martial arts. Now, you got some of these, these zombie kind of characters, these evil guys who don't die. They're hard to die. So suppose I, I see one big, ugly one walking by, and I said, whatever you got to say to him, say to me. And he turns and starts coming toward me, and I do a martial art move and take his heart out. <laughs> and I'm holding, I'm holding the heart in my hand, and the heart is still beating. And he start, he's still walking to me. And another actor reaches down with a pencil and stabs the heart in my hand, and the thing falls down. And that was something, you know, I brought. That was part of my image, though. So, so I wasn't outside the realm of what the movie was about, but at the same time, I was able to put in part of my own characterization. Now, while you were working on that, did you did you get much of a chance to have conversations with Quentin Tarantino? Because I know he's got to be a big fan of yours. Yeah, Quentin, Quentin is a fan. Uh, Quentin knew all the movies because, you know, Quentin used to work in a video store. He used to watch all the movies of the 70s, he said. He could name them all. He could talk about them all. So we had a conversation about the past movies that I made and asked a lot of questions about how it was working with so-and-so and so-and-so. So it it was it was it was a good thing, you know. It was it was a good meeting, but uh, I moved on. Time to keep moving. Next. Now, what did you think when he used the title of one of your movies for one of his films? That being Inglorious Bastards, respect. of course. Respect, respect, because they got a, my, the people that produced my film Inglorious Bastards got a little upset, and what he did was change the spelling of bastard to bastard, and everybody got happy for that. So it was okay. It, it got smoothed over because Bastard spells with an A and he spells it with an E. So everybody left happy. Do you have any, any thoughts about maybe working with him again in the future? Um, yeah, I, you know, I work with anybody who understands my rules in Hollywood. I have three rules in Hollywood. One, and I made these rules right when I started to do my own films. I knew I wasn't going back to work for anybody else unless they adhere to my rules. And my number one rule is you can't kill me in a movie. Number two, I have to win all my fights in a movie. And number three, I get the girl at the end of the movie if I want her. <laughs> now, I gave Hollywood two out of three to do that. And I know they weren't ready to give me the girl because we hadn't gone that far yet. <laughs> so me not dying and me winning my fights was okay with them because if the film was good, they may want to, they may want to bring me back for a sequel. So the fact that I didn't die and the fact that I won my fights was okay with them. Well, now it's a little it's a little different now. So I mean, maybe maybe if there's a a film that might give you all three, that I think that times have changed enough that that's that's I feasible. don't think so. Time, nah, no. Nah, I mean, you can tell when it's gratuitous. You know, when you see this kind of film and you see interracial couple. I mean, you can see that they're catering to the pressure from the black community, and then it's kind of overdone. They're they're doing it, but. No, was it's it? not a major. It's not a major black actor with a major white star. It might be a white star that's unknown, that's cute and beautiful, but not a major. Was there a film that you did where you'd wish they'd let you get the girl? All of them. 
But but no but partic- put, no particular co-star. No, no. I put I pick who I want who worked worked for me. I had a dear film with Maud Adams, and Maud Adams was my co-star in the film, and we had a nice love scene. So remember remember Maud? From, oh yeah, uh, oh yeah, yeah. From the Bond movies, yeah. Still, yeah, yeah, and she's still gorgeous. So, but in Italy, it doesn't really matter. I mean, they put you with anybody. I mean, you, you, it's not about the black girl or the white girl or the tan girl. It's about whoever they feel can be in a film that's going to bring money to the box office. That's who they pair you with, and that's who I pair myself with. People that's going to help me in the box office. It ain't about interracial. It ain't about black. If I, if there's a black actress that's going to bring me some interest in the box office or Mexican, or Latino, or Cuban, or any race. If you have power in the box office, I would love to have you in my film if I can afford you. Well, I want to talk to you about uh, a couple of folks that you've worked with in the past that are also going to be here at Pensacon. So uh, tell me, first of all, about working with Antonio Fargus. Antonio Fargus is a very uh, misused actor. He has a great sense of comedy. He's funny without being funny. That's a big difference. Sometimes when you try to be funny, you come off as stupid. He's funny because he has he has comic timing, and he has facial expressions that sometimes can be funny. But that's what makes him a good actor is that he can be funny without being funny. And that's a big difference because sometimes funniness comes off clumsy and stupid. Well, and then, uh, you know, speaking of funny actors, another guy that you worked with fairly recently on a film called BFW, George Went, is going to be here as well. Talk about working with him. But George is a pro. You know, you expect you, what you get from George, you expect. The guy's a pro. His timing, his timing came from television. His, his timing of being comedy, of doing nothing. This guy can do nothing almost and be funny. And not funny, funny, humorous. Let's say humorous. He can put a smile on your face just being himself because he has this comic timing. You know, he can could never be a hero and beat up 12 people like the hammer, but I can never be as funny as he is either without trying to be funny. So he has a great talent of humor that he has honed in very well. So this film that you're in together, VFW, this is a pretty recent film. Tell us a little bit about that. VFW was about old war veterans hanging out at their lodge and they get together just for a meeting, have some drinks and talk. We get an outsider youngster comes in, creates a problem. We kick them out. That would turn out to be a bad thing because 25 or 50 of their friends who after this person comes to our lodge and now we have a big fight. So the whole movie is about us kicking butt and getting butt kicked inside this lodge <laughs> that's where it is old time was having a fight again <laughs> well you know i, I mean, we've talked a little bit about antonio fargus but one thing you have in common is association with starsky and hutch he was of course in the series and then you did the movie so uh, talk a little bit about that that movie was uh, you know obviously a, bi- a big difference from the tv show that was more serious but uh talk a little bit about that well i think i think the person that they picked to replace him was Snoop Dogg. Yeah, that's right. And Snoop Dogg, again, has a sense of humor without being stupid funny. He can make you smile or he can make you laugh because he has this character that everybody expects him to, to, to show when he works. And it was a good choice of, of putting Snoop 
in front of Antonio Fargas. I mean, why they did, I don't, I don't know, but that was their choice. I guess they figured Snoop was more popular than uh, than than Fargas. So it all worked when he running around with the high heels, the high heel shoes on, with water in the in the heels, and he's running and they break. I mean, <laughs> that's that's funny <laughs> without being funny. So I think that's why they did it. You know. Well, what do you think in general when you see people doing things like that that kind of parody the black exploitation area? You know, I'm thinking of that, but I'm also thinking of things like I'm going to get you, sucker. You know, the, you know, obviously things that wouldn't exist without your work, but they're taking kind of a light, lighthearted look at it. Well, I wouldn't. They invited me to do I'm going to get you, sucker, but I wouldn't touch that with a ten foot pole. They had they they gave it they offered me and I didn't respect them for even offering me the role. Because that means they didn't understand what I represent and who I was. They gave it to uh, uh, the piano, the the jazz, the jazz singer. They gave it to him. And the the, the point is, when it, they go after the bad guy, he goes into the room, opens the door, got fifteen beautiful looking guns. He puts one on the inside, left side, right side pocket, in his shoe, everywhere. Walks outside. And falls down and trips and all the guns go off and he kills himself. Now, how, you, how can I survive that? How can a hammer play that role and do another film when the audience, especially the black audience, should be screaming at the screen, hey, hammer, look out, don't fall down. You know, so there's no way I could have survived that. So I didn't really respect him for even offering me that role. Well, so you're coming to town next week for Pensacon. What do you like about coming to these uh, fan conventions? What, what, uh, do you enjoy meeting the fans? I like coming to any place that likes me. If they like me, I'm there. If they don't like me, thank you very much. I'll see you. Very simple. I go where I'm like, and I go away from where, I, where I'm not like. Uh, that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Well, I can tell you uh, we like you a lot here in Pensacola, and we're very much looking forward to having you here at Pensacon and uh, hearing more about your amazing career and getting to, getting to know you a little bit. We're going to have a lot of fun. Again, Pensacon coming up on Friday, opening up Friday, May 21st, running through the 23rd. Get your tickets at Pensacon.com. You can come out and see the hammer and uh, and see a whole bunch of other people, too. But maybe nobody that's going to be uh, be quite as uh, interesting as the hammer. Well, I'm old. I'm older than most of those guys out there. I mean, and it's amazing what I'm going to get a lot of is, wow, you look good, man, for 83. And... That's what I am, I'm 83, and I'll be. I'll stop making movies when I can't jump over cars anymore, and knock down doors, and kick down doors, and jump on a horse, and fall off a horse. Then I'll, then I'll, I might do a quiet comedy after that. That's that's when I'm about 103. I think I might do a comedy. <laughs> that sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620.